everybody to fear and loathing and cinema podcast it is the end of july and it is hot in texas it's hot in dallas it's hot in denton and it's hot in austin but these three hotties right here bringing you all of the movie stuff are going to keep it cool for you i'm brian kluger and i'm joined by the two hosts with the most the two men who i love to go swimming with and do other things with in the school pool at all times of the day preston barta and dan moran dan how are you i am doing great i feel like you guys are resuscitating me from the bottom of a pool right now oh good (laughs) preston how about you what are you up to good morning brian i have a little secret well maybe not so little Uh, there's nothing small about Preston. I know. <laughs> this is going to be a great episode here on Fear and Loathing in Cinema. Thank you for joining us. If you can't tell what we're talking about today on this show, we're talking about the September 6, 2002 movie directed by John Polson, starring Jesse Bradford, Erica Christensen, Kate Burton, Dan Hedaya. It's called Swim Fan, and it's basically a modern telling of Fatal Attraction. You forgot Sherry Appleby. Oh, oh, Sherry Appleby. Like, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want, do we have to start the podcast over? No, I just forgot Sherry Appleby. I mean, no, when I hear Applebee's, I just think of the ribs. I don't know. In in veteran of the show, uh, Dan Hedaya. I said him. Oh, you did? I, I did. That. Our, our clueless man himself. Yes, uh, Dan Hedaya. We're excited. But first, before we get into Swim Fan, a very big thing happened in cinema over the last week or two. And it has divided the country. Not really. It has not. But it has divided this show <laughs> and our friendships. Uh, the biggest thing in movies to come out this year, Oppenheimer and Barbie. It is here it's out in theaters. We want to talk about it because we've seen we have all seen both movies, Barbie and Oppenheimer. It's a thing. It's a cultural thing to see it. Oppenheimer. What what questions do we have about Oppenheimer? No, we saw the movie. We saw the movie. It was great. <laughs> was it great? Yes. You are the only person who actively hates it. <laughs> like i've had i've talked to so many people who were like you know what it was a little long or the third hour didn't really work for me but i appreciate it, it was good you're the only person that's like money back so okay to give everybody a little a little info on this i did not like uh oppenheimer whatsoever i gave it a pretty bad review um And I I kept my review funny. I explained why I liked or why I didn't like the movie, but my review went viral. And then all the trolls came out, uh, lovers of Christopher Nolan, and it started attacking me. And it was great. I loved it. I I get off on this. But when I I sat next to Preston during the screening and Dan saw it, and I'm curious, why did I see a different movie? Did I not understand Oppenheimer? 
Well, Maybe. Brian, let me let me just I'll start here. You are the Leo Strauss of this podcast at this point. Um, <laughs> but all movies are subjective. So we're not going to argue. You don't like it. You told us why you don't like it. That's fine. I'm surprised with the level to which you don't like it is what is shocking to me. And so it's fun to poke fun at. But I thought that it was a brilliant character study. Killian Murphy is amazing in this movie. Every five minutes, there is an incredible actor who has no business doing a five minute bit part and just elevating anything going on. And I thought that Nolan actually ratcheted down the things that people complain about Nolan with. Like, I thought the multiple timelines in this actually serviced the story. I disagree with the people who didn't like the final hour who who were like, it's slow. I thought that the way they were, they ended it in the black and white and kind of showing that whole process I thought was amazing. It even had the corny stuff that Nolan is known for wherever it's like, you know who voted you down? I said, young senator from the state of Massachusetts, JFK, John F. Kennedy. And that is a very corny line, but for some reason it worked for me. And I was like, oh yeah, that's right. We're getting the Avengers together. The Avengers of nuclear science. <laughs> I don't know. It just, it really worked for me. Um, I loved it. I cannot wait to see it again. It's tough to find essentially with trailers, three and a half hours to set aside. But I, I respect that you did. it didn't work for you, but I think all of your criticisms for me are things that I'm just like, Oh, I actually enjoyed that part <laughs> to each his own. A lot of people love it. Uh, I don't, I don't get it. I, I feel like in this day when I'm watching movies and somebody like Christopher Nolan, who's like one of the greatest James Cameron, one of the greatest, uh, arguably Zack Snyder or Wes Anderson. Oh. I think they've come and, have become so far up their own ass that they're just turning out kind of schlock now, lazy style. And I got to call them out on it when I see fit. And this happened to Nolan this time, unfortunately. Preston's face is turning the color of his shirt. So yeah, I'm like, like biting my I know it's so good because I sat next to Preston during this movie, you know, and we both, we our, our screen in Dallas was not ideal, but we, we, Seeing Preston get mad before we saw the movie was great, but we both sat down. We were both excited, and I could swear Preston was not liking the movie during it, but when that movie ended, I was like, oh, thank God that's over, and Preston loved it, and then everybody around us loved it, and I was like, am I the only one that did not like this movie? Preston, enlighten me. Give me your in-depth analysis. Yeah, I think it's important to note our screening experience ahead of this because we were originally under the impression, or at least I was, even though the email didn't specifically clarify that it was going to be shown in IMAX. I just kind of figured since it was 70 millimeter and that was noted in our email that I was like, that has to be an IMAX. I don't know why they would be showing that in a standard theater and not like 35 millimeter. But it ended up being 70 millimeter. The screening started 45 minutes late, which pissed off a lot of people. So we were already going into it very heated. And once we got in there, the print was misaligned. It was not completely straight. And with the film, you could see the flicker of it. Um, not that, that that that's part of the experience. I kind of knew. So it was nice right away. I was like, oh, this is 70 millimeter. Um, 
but it's a nasty looking 70 millimeter presentation. So on top of that, throughout the film, it kept going out of focus. And we were like, is this an artistic choice? Can't be. There's no way that they would have that much of a close up on Killian Murphy and he would be out of focus. There's no way. So I I had uh, what what Brian was seeing was me being very like having a visceral reaction to a lot of these technical difficulties that were happening throughout the movie. And if you've seen Oppenheimer, you know that it has a lot of words in it. It's a, there's a lot to focus on and the jumping back and forth between timelines there. It's a very interactive experience. And so you have to keep up. And if you have technical issues like that, it's very hard to do that. So I will admit when I was first watching it, I leaned over to Haley, my wife, who was seeing it with me too on the other side with uh, Brian on my left. Um, I was like, this just, man, this is just hurtling from one scene to the next. Like it hasn't settled. And I think a lot of that kind of comes down to my own flavor of film that I like, which is I like stuff like Tarantino that uses extended sequences to explain things. So instead of having a historically accurate depiction of this whole thing, Tarantino would probably be like, yeah, all these beats are important. I'm going to roll them all into one scene where they discuss this. And I was like, it may not be like, oh, well, but actually that discussion happened then or this event happened then. He would roll it all in because it's a two hour plus movie or whatever it might be. And that helps it to make sense and better, easier to digest for the viewer. However, that's not that's not Christopher Nolan at all, especially after movies like Tenet and things like that or Interstellar, which kind of have picked up momentum and go much faster. And especially Tenet. Tenet, I think, is arguably his weakest film next to uh, Dark Knight Rises. But I still find it a very compelling movie. And there are a lot of cinematic experience or scenes in it in that film that probably perk up uh, Brian up a little bit more by comparison because those scenes are shot in IMAX. And I think for Brian, my diagnosis of your takeaway, especially with the, the whole IMAX thing, even though we didn't see it that way, but there's just, well, if they're going to shoot the whole thing in IMAX, it better be really cinematic. It might, it, it should have all those moments like they have in the dark night when the dark night opens and then it, you're just rolling in. You're like, oh my God, I feel like I'm about to crash into this building. And when the truck flips and things like that, like those are hugely cinematic moments. But I remember when, um, I think it was either Avatar or something like that, like James Cameron, and this was brought up on another podcast that I listened to. And I was like, yes, I remember that uh, vividly. It said when Avatar came out, James Cameron's like, you know what? I hope it's more than just blockbuster films that get IMAX or 3D treatment. I want to see courtroom dramas. I want to see all these things because it's all a part of putting you into this immersive experience. And so that's kind of my feeling with what Christopher Nolan's doing is that he's trying to push our expectations of what IMAX should be. Does it need to be this huge action thing? Yes. No, <laughs> I don't think so. Because for me, watching it 
especially going back to revisit it and I'll, and I'll get to like the differences there. Um, going back to uh, visit it, revisit it and see all these moments as they should be in the, in the presentation was much better. Um, everything clicked for me. Like I got what he was, what Christopher Nolan was doing with the IMAX, with IMAX to really put us into the headspace of Oppenheimer because the whole movie, aside from the black and white sequences, which are supposed to be objective and it's, it's Strauss's perspective. And then we, all the stuff in color is meant to be Oppenheimer's perspective. And so like just getting that close up on Oppenheimer or Killian Murphy's eyes, like it's just, it's having an effect on me that I haven't had with IMAX. So I don't think that IMAX should just be a singular effect of like, let's just have massive things going on in it. Let's have the, as, as Brian put the one part in Brian's review where I was like, Oh man, when he, he's like, I wanted Michael Bay to do the, <laughs> the, the bomb sequence. It would have like, been oh, better. No, I was like, I don't want that at all. Because <laughs> when we were going, when we were going into it, um, yeah, maybe we were expecting like, Oh, cause there was so much talk about, the IMAX and there's so much talk about the bomb sequence because they used a real bomb to do that. Cause as it's been noted, like no CGI in this film. Um, and so when we get to that experience, you're like, Oh wow, this is a totally different effect of like really homing in on Oppenheimer and just the musicality of it. And like, what's, what, what's all going into that headspace. So, um, Yes, the movie does hop around different timelines. So we got, you know, him, Berkeley, everything. And then we got 1953, I think, and then 1959. Um, and so different, two different hearings, uh, one for Strauss of being able to uh, be secretary of, I can't remember all the technical terms. I wrote it in my review, but I can't keep up with a lot of it. Um, but he was going to. You know work. why? Because it doesn't make sense. <laughs> no, 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 not because of that at all. Because it's interesting to me. I find all of the, the historical things that are going on here very fascinating. Um, and so that's why I think in that second viewing, I was like, man, I was really picking up on the poetry of what he was trying to achieve here with jumping back and forth. Because, like I said earlier, it's a very interactive experience. I'm having to do a little bit of that legwork to figure out where where's my placement. And then upon the second viewing, when I know like what to anticipate, I was like, oh, I see, oh man, I do see what he's doing here. And it's really beautiful. So Brian, my strongest suggestion for you is to go see it one more time to, to get past all the technical bullshit that we dealt with when we went to the press screening and go see it again, knowing that that's what the flow of the film is. And I really think that you're going to uh, pick up on a lot of the nuances of the film. Cause I will just like you, when the movie started, I was like, this just feels like a really extended trailer. I, I, I haven't had that settle. It hasn't settled yet. And all these actors are just like coming up here and I don't, and I was like, I mean, Rami Malek shows up and I was like, well, what, what is he doing here? He's just kind of there for a second. Um, but then when I watch it again, I'm noticing all these little things that are happening along the way that I was like, oh, I totally get why he did all this. And so I, for me, this is the best movie of the year. I went up from a four star to a five star with that second viewing. I think it's 
really incredible. I would even go as far as to say that it's Christopher Nolan's best movie. I would say that. Um, Brian, I, I'm not kidding, man. Like, Mind go watch blown. it again. It's it's more than just what you said with like, let's find the uh, what did you say? Find the, the communists in the room. Communists in the room. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, it's it, it's funny to me. I, and when I was reading your review, and I was like, I mean, I can just like what Dan said. I was like, yeah, I, I I mean, I see what you're saying, but that I just don't agree. That's not that's not the experience that I had watching it. So you might be reaching and looking for something else. I don't know. I want to see it again. I do want to revisit it. Was there. I, I want to revisit this movie and I'm going to, I don't know when, but I do want to revisit it because for something that I don't like that much, because I, I went back and watched Avatar 2 and I still hated it. Um, I love Avatar 2. <laughs> but I, uh, all of my feelings, and so after after our screening and you know sitting there and it being wrong, I still wanted Christopher Nolan's movie to be good because I love Christopher Nolan movies. I'm going to say that I love Dark Knight Rises so much. Um, so I'm going to see it again. I'm still firmly in my belief that this that uh, Oppenheimer is not good. But for you both, I'm going to see it again. And maybe I will see what you both viewed. And I'll change my change my uh, my take on it. And I'm all for that. So with that last third, because Dan said, like a lot of people may have said, and, and I've heard it too, like they complain, like right after we get to the detonation sequence, it's like, it's a back and forth between the two hearings mostly. And what I like about that sequence, and I like it more, and I feel like I, at least in my head, as I've watched the movie and pieces of it over in my head, so it makes me feel like I've seen the movie more than I have, which is twice, um, I'm liking it more and more the more I think about it because following that detonation sequence, it's like this self-fragilation thing, like where he's taking Oppenheimer's taking complete ownership of what he did because of where things go um, without trying to get too much in the spoilers. But like the final five minutes of the movie, I find incredibly powerful and I find it comparable to the movie air at, at the end of Ben Affleck's air, there's a sequence where, you know, they're talking about all these things that might happen in Michael Jordan's life, but like, it's okay. It like puts things into a unique poetic perspective. And that's exactly what happens at the, at the end of Oppenheimer, except it's a different feeling. It's like he lived the rest of his life dealing with the pains of what that destruction did. And so I find that extremely fascinating. And I, I think so much so that I started reading the book. I started doing all these like d- deep dives into like Einstein. And so uh, I, I'm all a part of like the humor that's been going on lately online where, you know, like kids are in their physics class and they're like um, making fun of, of like these uh eureka moments that oppenheimer may have and like where he's like they're using like unique visuals to kind of paint like what may be going on in his head and so like kids have been like doing these funny little videos so i'm all apart uh, all about that so right yeah I think we, we haven't heard from dan in a while dan what do you have to say about all this i like oppenheimer <laughs> oppenheimer good movie 
<laughs> I like that it was big on screen and I thought it was brilliant. And I think it's going to be nominated for anywhere between 11 and 15 Oscar nominations. Yeah. I think we're not going to hear, stop hearing about it until the Oscars are over next, probably April with the strike going on. But because it might be the only movie out. <laughs> it's, it's right. gonna be, I think it's going to be re-released back into IMAX, which I'm excited about because the only IMAX, true IMAX that's close to me is the Bob Bullock History Museum in downtown Austin. Like the true... Oh, the IMAX. true up and down IMAX. True, like real the real one. one. Yeah. And I really want to go see it on that. But um, it's sold out until August yeah. 8th. And then it leaves yeah. the theaters on August 9th to make way for whatever movie comes out that weekend. So I'm hoping it comes, it gets re-released into IMAX. I just think, yeah, I mean, listen, I respect you don't like it. I completely disagree with you. And I think, <laughs> I think it's, I, think it's great. Saying, so. I just think. It was, uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's just, uh, you talk about that last 45 minutes, man. It's just, that could have been done in like less than 10. It just, see, that's, but that's, that's where we disagree, and I want you to go watch it That's again. That's the chess we, sequence. Even That's though the there's, even though there's no explosions or anything like that, watching it, I saw it on seventy millimeter too. Just, I went into this movie being like, "Oh, we're gonna have some Nolan stuff, some time shifts, and then some big, huge action sequences, blah blah." blah. And instead, all the action sequences were just the greatest character actors we have working today. Just trying to destroy a man's life for the past last hour and i was like riveted i just thought it was great acting robert downey jr made me forget that he was iron man for 10 minutes which was really nice he wasn't a snarky dick like he was yeah. actually acting so yeah go see it again and then we'll reconvene okay i i will say that the acting was great in it but uh yeah now, if you want to get canceled if you want to get canceled start saying how barbie is really bad and you hate its message that'll get you in a lot of trouble real quick all right so uh barbie <laughs> we're gonna talk about barbie for a little bit i fucking loved barbie like i loved it so much um i walked into that with kind of expectations like that i was excited to see it but held my expectations at bay uh, and it like it completely even though Barbie has some pacing issues, mostly with Will Ferrell and his cronies. Yeah. Can we um, say can we do we all objectively agree? Will Ferrell hasn't been funny for 10 years. And that part of the movie completely that's all of that should have been cut. It did not work for me one bit. It didn't work for me. I, I, I like Will Ferrell. I think he's funny still, but I think there was too much of him and his uh, co-workers trying to intervene. I think yeah. if they focused more on the um, the election at hand, basically, I would have uh, enjoyed it more with the pacing. But this movie, Barbie, was so good. This Barbie should have been in 70mm IMAX. It looked so much better. It was filmed way better. Um, I think the comedy and the poignant issues and the tone and the emotion was so great. And I think I'm I'm willing to say that um, Margot and Ryan Gosling turned in just as good of performances as Killian Murphy and um, and Robert Downey Jr. I, I think you're trying to say that to like offend Preston and I, but like I'm not. I'm I just saying that I do. What Margot Robbie did, if Margot Robbie's not in this movie with as talented as she is, blending the humor and the earnestness and the everything that she did in that role, this movie would have not been nearly as good. And I agree with you. Ryan Gosling was incredible and really funny. But Ryan Gosling's character could have been played by Chris Pine. It could have been played by Ryan Reynolds. 
It could have been played by any really good looking guy and maybe it wouldn't have been as good. But what held the movie together was Margot Robbie. Like I can't picture one actress working today that would have been as good as she could. And I could have, I can think of people who would have been maybe just a couple points behind what Ryan Gosling gave us. He was amazing and he's going to get nominated, but she held this thing together. And if she was nominated, I riot. Right. No, I hope she does. And I think America uh, Fiera was excellent too, but I will say that I think only Ryan Gosling could have done this because I think the Chris Pratt, you would have just seen Chris Pratt in that role. If you would have said pine, sir, I said pine, pine, not Pratt, Chris Chris pine. I agree. Chris pine. Great choice. But Ryan Reynolds would have just been Ryan Reynolds. It had basically been Deadpool, I think, but I think Chris Pine and um, who they got, Ryan Gosling, just nailed it perfectly. And like that type of humor that Ryan Gosling does, because we see like crumbs of it in like nice guys and things like that, where he's like really good at kind of going to these like high energy levels and seeing him goofy or even in some of the SNL skits that he does. Like uh, that one that they did uh, making fun of Tarantino when they did like the Santa Claus thing. And, he, and yeah. he's like, it's the same kind of humor because uh, there'd be like uh, Santa Claus is upstairs. He's like, are you serious? Is Santa, like like they're doing the whole bit from like Christmas vacation. He's like, yeah. we'd very much like to see him. And so it's just like that type of humor. So I think I would kind of, I, I would back uh, Brian a little bit and say that I think Ryan Gosselin might have been the only choice to do something like this. I think, but I do agree with you, Dan, that I think Chris Pine would have been great um, in some of the, some other actors, but I don't know if it would have gone the whole 10 yards that he went yeah. with his portrayal in that role. And right. not to take anything away from the movie, because I'm sure maybe there's a little bit of nitpicks that I know I have a few little nitpicks that I'll share, but we also just have to shout out Warner brothers marketing team. Yeah. This oh yeah. Movie, this movie was predicted to make like twenty eight million dollars in January. Like they were like the long term forecast was like twenty eight million dollars. And Warner Brothers just figure out how to market this thing. And the way Marco Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling marketed this movie is ninety percent of the phenomenon. I'm not saying it's not a good movie because I I loved it. I thought it was a great yeah. movie. But I'm saying like yeah. They marketed this movie. They turned it into an event. I went on a Saturday night. Everyone in the theater was wearing pink, including my wife and her friends. Like this was a thing. This wasn't just yeah. a, I haven't seen people do this sort of stuff since like Avengers Endgame. Yeah. I saw this movie. I saw Barbie after it came out this week and I wore pink. I wore my pink Barbie sunglasses. I, I dressed up. Yeah. Just, just brilliant all around. And I think, like like Brian said, it just worked. Greta Gerwig, I, I and this sounds like I'm denigrating the movie, and I'm really not. This is de- this is Greta Gerwig's third best movie, which just shows you how damn talented she is. Like I don't think this is as good as Lady Bird or Little Women, but it's still an incredible movie. Like A plus, A plus, A minus. Like she is amazing. She can write her own check, do anything she wants. I'm a little disappointed that she's going to do Narnia for Netflix, but get that money, girl. Like whatever whatever you need to get paid. Um, I just, I just found it to be an incredible mix of commentary, humor, everything that it needed to be. And even though some of the stuff with Will Ferrell didn't work and some of the yada yada over the world building for me, like, cause I, early on they were like, if your dolls played with in the real world, you change in the Barbie land. And then they just dropped that for the rest of the movie. I thought yeah, that man. was going to be a thing. 
and they never resolved it. I, that's a very mi minor nitpick, but I was like, oh, let's see what happens when these girls start playing with the other Barbies in different ways. And I thought that's where they were going with it. Like, and I just, yeah, I, I thought it was amazing. Other than the Will Ferrell stuff that just didn't work for me. I thought it was a, a great movie and I have no, nothing to argue against you, Brian, on this one. Production design is going to win an Oscar. Yeah. I hope I hope more than I, I would like to see. I mean, as of right now, best picture, I would love to see Barbie win, but I would love to see actor supporting act, support actress, supporting actor, production design, music. I love Barbie, but we were talking the other day about like best picture and all that sort of stuff. And my wife was like, do you think there's going to be nominations? I go Margot Robbie for sure. I go Ryan Gosling front runner right now. Um, to be nominated for sure and she goes what about picture and I go I don't know they allow 10 so probably one to get people to watch she was like who's gonna win actor because I told her I think Killian Murphy is definitely getting nominated and then I, I looked at it and I was like oh but Napoleon's coming out Ferrari's coming out like oh I just go down a list of all these just men in movies and I'm like oh it's too early to predict box office right no it is uh, not box it's, office Oscars, Oscars like, and then yeah. it's gonna be that one movie that comes out of nowhere Yep. But yeah, right now I think it's uh, Margot Robbie and Killian Murphy as your best actress. Best actor and best actress. I would see that. I could see that. No, I like it. All right. All right. Barbie Oppenheimer. You heard it here. Um, we'll update you when I see it again and uh, we'll figure this you, out. I might either come back and say I was completely wrong. I fall on my sword or I'll come back and say I hated it more. We will we will see. But let's get to our main event of Fear and Loathing in Cinema. Why we're here. We're talking about Swim Fan. Uh, Swim Fan was directed by John Polson, who was an actor, actually. He's been in a bunch of things, but he also directed Swim Fan and Hide and Seek and then went on to direct a bunch of TV shows such as Walking Dead, Fear of the Walking Dead, The Good Wife, Fringe, um, FBI, Chicago Med, all, all sorts of stuff. Um, but he only did three movies, and it was the first three things of his career were films, and he just went strictly to TV uh and this movie came out in 2002 so this is like the late 90s early 2000s type of film and think again again fatal attraction this is that type of movie but with teens uh we'll start with preston preston do you remember seeing this in the theater i was how old was i i was 21 so when this came out so this was right up my alley uh do you remember seeing this so you must have been 11 or 12 12 yeah yeah i think i saw it with my mom and i remember being kind of uncomfortable in some of the scenes one well, that first cool. scene is just having sex yeah, in like a car and in, in the <laughs> yeah. car yeah and so yeah, yeah you're I, just like I, well, I remember feeling the nervousness of my mom which is like oh no but you know i took him to see titanic who cares but uh yeah i, I definitely remember it I have a VHS copy, and that's how I watched this film uh, this morning. I watched my kid copy. And, um, yeah, I, I enjoyed it very much uh, when I was younger because, like, I think you mentioned at the during the intro, Brian, like, this was a uh, – this was a movie, like, for – that for teens uh, at, at that time, and it just kind of had, like, that adult – adultiness to it and so I it, think it made you feel a little older i like it dan what about you first date with my wife and i this is a first date movie yeah 
Oh my gourd. Set the scene. Please tell us about this. Just, just holding hands. How did you meet your wife and why was it oh. swim fan y'all went out with? Like talk. Uh we went to swim fan because it was out like <laughs> that weekend. Uh that but we had just kind of started dating in high school and now we're married. So um yeah, nothing too interesting than that. But yeah, it came out and it was like this was a time where all the CW shows were really big. Um, like your your Roswell, your Dawson's Creek, all of those sorts of things. And my wife was a huge WB CW TV show watcher. And she was like, Sherry Appleby's in this. Like, we, we're going to go see this. Like, she was so into it. I was like, oh, yeah, let's go see it. It looked like a cool thriller. Like Preston said, it was a thriller for teens. Like he said, Fatal Attraction for teens. Like, it looked more intense than it truly was. Um, and... I don't remember anything about seeing the movie, not because we were making out or anything, but I don't remember the, the um, I don't remember the original movie. I just know for a fact this was our first like true date that we went on with just us going to the movies. And uh, since then, I've seen it a couple of times. I make plenty of jokes around the house, like when it pops up on a streaming service, I'll be like, oh, here it is. <laughs> you know, jokes like that. <laughs> um, and then I watched it alone as is tradition now in our marriage oh okay so this is a traditional <laughs> thing y'all watch no, no no i'm saying she was like busy and i was like you want to watch some fan she was like uh hang on i gotta i'm gonna do something else and i was like okay well i'll just watch some fan by myself love you but um <laughs> yeah uh i watched it and i still find it to be terribly enjoyable and especially that it comes in at like i think even with credits it's like 82 minutes or something ridiculously short no, it is. It's it's really short. And uh, you 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 said it great. This movie is painfully cheesy, but it still works on so yeah. many levels. It's really good because this movie right now is sitting at a 15% on Rotten Tomatoes out of 91 reviews. And that is insane to me because this movie is good because, you know, okay. So like Fatal Attraction, you have a couple and then one of one of the persons of that couple in this case and in fatal attraction it's the male that meets a woman and they have a fling they have they have sex they have an affair once and they're both on the same page oh we can't tell anybody and then all of a sudden for some reason uh the person he has the affair with in both films uh becomes unhinged and they there's almost like a a psychotic obsession with the other person and then it just derails and goes over the top and it worked very well with glenn close and michael douglas and fatal attraction but here to see it happen in high school that's very real like you you everybody has known somebody that has obsessed about somebody in high school maybe to not this degree but to an unhealthy degree and I think they perfect. They showed this very well. What What do you think, Preston? I think it does a pretty good job at capturing, like how terrible we are as teenagers. In that there's so like it's it's hard watching this as an adult because because when you're watching it, you're like, why the hell would Jesse Jesse Bradford cheat on Sherry Appleby? Like she is such a great person. And so like watching that as a 30 something year old, I'm like, what the hell are you doing? But that was so like natural 
in a, a reoccurring thing that happened to a lot of teenagers back in the day where, you know, you might have somebody that is really good to you, but there was just too many, uh, like to quote, everybody wants some, like just temptations, man, too many temptations. <laughs> um, so that, that you kind of understand Jesse Bradford's headspace because there's a lot of pressure on him to like be this all-star uh, swim uh swimming guy and he uh it's just being pulled a little bit like is in 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 both directions and so there's the the one ongoing thing for him the constant is sherry appleby who's very good to him and very supportive and so you as you watch it as a 30 something year old you're watching that and you're like geez i hate this guy like why are you doing that and then especially where things uh escalate um you know, having uh, the affair with Erica Christensen's character. But the other moment in the film that really made me not like Jesse Bradford uh, or his character is that she, Erica Christensen's character, Madison, hasn't come become completely unhinged yet. Like she's so she's showing some like some dark things, like there's some dark things building up, but they haven't quite reached a level of that deserved what Jesse Bradford does, which is to choke her in a library. Right. I don't think that, I think that was a little too far. And I was like, uh, no, no, no. But yeah, um, I think just that, that mind game going on here is, is the fun of it. I don't think it's a great movie. I think it's, it's, it's in between like good and trash, but um, like just very solid. I like this movie. I think that having the the high school aspect of it, because they're about to both go to college, and even though they're together, I mean, you could see maybe the temptation to like probably break up before you go to college because they are uh, going separate places, even though his girlfriend wants to go be with him in California. But Dan, what what do you make of like all the themes they showed in tone of the film because it's not really a comedy. because i feel like if it was made today there'd be more comedy but it was it, it was all taken in a more serious tone even if the even if it came across as silly and funny to us now i don't think that was the case back then yeah it was uh pretty serious i mean it, it deals with some serious themes but i'm sure with social media and stuff today that this is even more common and even scarier and even more damaging to all the people involved but i want to what preston was saying like i i thought he was dumb in my 30 year old brain but at the same time i'm like it's an 18 year old horny high school kid like i didn't hold anything he did against him because i everyone had friends who did this or maybe you were the one who did this you know like that's just it's an 18 year old guy (laughs) that's nothing he did who's about to go on a big scholarship to swimming out in college like we might break up in like two weeks after graduation like and here's this woman you know what he did was wrong on paper not surprising you know what i mean like nothing (laughs) shocked me about it but uh it wasn't like that and that's the whole thing that i felt was kind of scary about it because it was such a like you're in high school oh you hook up with a girl at a party or you meet someone else you cheat on your girlfriend like we all were in high school we were all guys in high school we all know things that happen in high school with friends and whatnot this was such a common occurrence but nobody ever got to this level and that was the next level fear and scary and how to handle that part of it that just um brought it 
I don't think had really been addressed at least to a teen audience. I mean, we've talked about Fatal Attraction. It's funny that in the Wikipedia it says Michael Douglas's production company was one of the producers of the film. So that's kind of funny. But yeah, it just wasn't a thing. And I wanted to ask you guys um, with all the themes and stuff that's going on. And I know, Brian, you were saying that this might be more comedic if it was to come out today, maybe, or they would lean into some more stuff. I'm not, I'm wondering if maybe this would be even more serious and maybe instead of being a movie, it would have been like a six part Max original or, you know, something like that where they could have gotten into it a little more like a big little lies type situation. That's maybe not with that caliber of people, but I don't even think this would have been a script. I think they would have been like, blow this out to five episodes. And and I think you could have because you would got, because that's, the, another thing I wanted to bring up with Madison, uh, Erica Christensen, do you think there's any sympathy towards her or even the Glenn Close character in Fatal Attraction? Yeah. Is she sympathetic or is she just kind of plain psychotic and then evil? But that's that's the long way we've come with me- mental health and respecting of people like both those characters that you just named are complete crazy psychopaths. And when watching the movie, you're like, you want them to lose you want them to be stopped. In, in some cases, you want them to be killed. <laughs> just to, you know, Right, they're because they're, they're actively making choices to do what they do. Right, but if we were to blow this out to a five-episode or six-episode thing and you saw why they became this way, mm-hmm. were they in a home? Were they? Did they go off treatment? Did they, like, there's a lot more to mine there to, to be like, here's the crazy girl. It would have been a little bit deeper than that. Right, and I and I to answer your question, Dan... Will it would have been a more serious tone, like a Blumhouse swim fan type of thing where we're more serious. I feel like it would take on more of a role, maybe as A24's bodies, 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 maybe because it would have that balance of comedy and seriousness maybe today, where I think as all the high school kids in swim fan, there wasn't all that, you know, banter back and forth or uh, maybe comedic uh lines that there could there that there would be in a real high school setting i don't know what do you think preston um uh, before i get to that had either one of y'all seen the fatal attraction remake series no i want to i love lizzie kaplan i know lizzie kaplan personally um and i've always wanted to see i have not seen it yet i haven't seen it either but i was just curious about the progression of that by comparison like how that works in the series did they, format. Can, did they cancel it i mean it's, it can't go longer than like two seasons right just yeah. for real i'm not saying that it shouldn't be made one's gotta be dead by the yeah. end of it it's <laughs> so. gonna, yeah it's gonna it's gonna reach an original um a point that's that's uh, it's gotta reach an original point somewhere yeah unless you know like if they turn this into a series in the second season or the sequel we would have a uh, zombie madison would have been quite great oh yeah um, <laughs> um sorry what was the original question um would would this be if we were, this were be made today would it be darker because oh, i said it was like right. more it could be more comedic and i compare it to like maybe bodies 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 where there would be like some real comedic dialogue in there now mixed with yeah. all the horror and drama yeah there might be just because of the influence of the internet 
if the if it was set in modern times cuz like in this it's very much like early 2000s with the pager and everything and even in the style of the film like uh that that's what kind of makes it cheesy watching it nowadays is like the way that it's the way that it's cut is kind of effective like one of my favorite sequences is when <laughs> one of his buddies played uh oh, what's his name his name is clean crawford he plays uh josh he's like the second best uh swim on the, on the swim team and like he has the hots for madison and so like right after um jesse bradford's character and um uh, ben and madison have their affair Madison's trying to make Ben jealous by, you know, starting something with uh, Josh. And so they have a sequence where they're like making out in her nice car. And I love the way that it's shot or the way that it's cut because it, when, when the moment comes when Madison's like, Ben, Ben, as they're like kissing, he's like, my name's not Ben. What the hell? And he's like doing this whole, it's my favorite moment of the whole movie. He's like, Like he got bad barbecue on him. He's like, oh, like just like so betrayed. Um, <laughs> I love that sequence. But the way that it's cut, it just it, it's like trying to create uh, this effect of like either betrayal or even just throughout, like even when Madison feels like things are not aligning with what her expectations are based off of what Ben saying to her. Like, I don't want anything to do with you. And then he's like, I, I just want you out of my life. I want to pretend like what happened never happened. And she's just like, Oh, but the way that it's like cut, it's like different reactions and stuff. Um, so I like that effect to it, but um, yeah, if the internet, if the internet made its way and we didn't have pagers and things like they have in this one, I, I would say it would probably have a more, comedic level to some of the moments especially when they're outside in the beginning outside school they're just discussing it would have like more like scream like dialogue uh where they're kidding around a little bit more and it's a little more serious there, there's a little bit of like attempts at comedy in there like because one of them because josh says like um like uh, talking to one of the the other girls and they said that that's the reason why we broke up is like, yeah, because uh, lame in the sack or something like that. I can't remember what it was exactly, but um, when it comes to like some of the more serious stuff, I think it, it definitely would have probably got a little darker. I might've gotten a little darker. Now I think people would do it. Dan, do you agree? Or do you think this would just be a, a more serious film now? I think if it was a movie, it would be more comedic because they would need to have a little bit more light to it. I think that if it was a TV show or a mini series, it would be darker and more serious. Yeah. Okay. I know that's splitting the baby. I just think if you're going to ask people to go to an hour and 45 minute movie and feel the way you would feel if you made this more serious, not fun in today's day and age. But if people are like, this is prestige TV, look at us addressed, blah, 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 and yeah. stalkers, people sign up for that. But when you go to a movie, you need, You need to have a friend like I picture it being in the realm of like um, obviously not to this level and it's different subjects, but a, a level of get out where it would it would be very serious and very dark of a movie. But there's also so many moments of levity that you're either laughing at how absurd it's getting or you're or you have the um, security guard character who's like undercuts how serious like when he's on the phone he's like i told him not to go to that white girl's house like yeah sort yeah. of stuff like it, there would have to be a friend in there to make it less serious and make people laugh otherwise 
I wouldn't want to watch that. Right, right, right. Um, they probably so, wouldn't have made Dante look like a serial killer in it. Yeah, and also, Brian, just um, before you move on to your next question, I want to know, do you think that this movie should have been shot in 70 millimeter more than Oppenheimer? <laughs> yes, yes. Those scenes in the school swimming pool, amazingly beautiful. Wide lens. <laughs> Uh, I agree. Yes, yes. Um, I, going. I want to move on to the actors because uh, the guy who played Christopher, who they make think is the serial killer, James DeBello. This guy you recognize from Detroit, Rock City, Cabin Fever, Scary Movie Two, American Pie. I love this guy. But in relation to him, uh, the acting, like all of these actors, such as Dan Hedaya, Jason Ritter, Erica Christensen, Jesse Bradford. They all went on after this to have pretty successful careers. How do you think their performances are in this movie, Swim Fan? And are they nuanced enough to really stand the test of time? With not the script not being a part of this conversation, what do you think? It's good enough for Swim Fan, for a movie called Swim Fan. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it's fine for a movie called Swim Fan. That's... That's it? You don't want to talk yeah, about the many all... faces of Erica Christensen in this movie? What's going on? She I had mean, a little run here. Because then but... she was in traffic the two years before, right? Right. I remember her from uh, Little uh, Leave it to Beaver in the 90s. That 90s movie. <laughs> um, no, I think she's great. Great in the part. Um, especially when it comes to the the delivery of the line when she's at the pool at the very end, like no one's going to love you. Like I do, like I believe her. And same thing with right. like Jesse. Uh, and Brad. you want to hear that. Everybody wants to hear that in life, but not from somebody yeah. going through that, what she's going through, like in her mind. Yeah. I think I would have wanted to know more about her family life. Like I, I want to, I want to know, I, maybe that's probably what we would get. Like we, we should get three. more answers. That's episode then. three of my max original series. There you go. Swim fanner. More <laughs> swimming, more fanning. Just yeah. keep swimming, swimming. Here, let's ask about the actresses real quick. Mandy, what is Sherry Appleby's greatest role? Sherry oh. Appleby. Well, now I'm going to have to look that up. But Roswell. Sherry. It's Roswell. Is it Roswell? Roswell. Because she was the main in Roswell, right? Yeah. Okay. But she was in Charlie Wilson's War. It's Roswell. It's real. She was great and unreal. Okay. My wife just said, "In this house, it's Roswell, girls, and it will it will continue to be Roswell." And has Jesse Bradford been around in a while? Yeah, look up the last movie that he was in. You might we need to review that one. He oh was my probably god, a scientist in he was probably a scientist in Oppenheimer. Mary Kiss Cam, is that what you're thinking of? <laughs> yeah, it's like a Hulu movie, and it looks like a Lifetime Christmas movie. And I was like. Oh. What? There's our awesome. December movie. Save that. All right. All right. So, I mean, he hasn't been in a bunch of stuff that I recognize, but Mary Kiss came. Uh, we could definitely. A lot of stuff from the 90s and 2000s, of course. Like he was in Hackers. He yeah. In, uh, like uh, one of the, was it Old Yeller or something? It bring like it on. That. Yeah, definitely bring it on. That's, that's the movie for him. I feel like that's the last thing I remember him in is he was in this and then he was in Bring It On and I don't remember anything I remember in flags of our fathers he was one of the three guys uh he was in flags of our fathers yeah 
it, it's, but, it's yeah, beyond that. Not really. Everyone loved that movie. And I love so the mother in this movie, played by Kate Burton, the 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 redhead. She mm-hmm. was um she was the friend of uh oh what's her name? Kim Cattrall in Big Trouble in Little China. Oh, she yeah. was she oh was yeah. Good, she was. Oh my goodness. This is just this is getting crazy. Swim fan, how do you think it holds up? I mean, do you think this would be like a cool retro screening today, like at an Alamo draft house or something like that? Like people would show up for this? They should be there on the water screening instead of Jaws. <laughs> they should do alter in they should do a swim fan night in a pool. Okay. Yeah. And do you think this movie would be better watched with like riff tracks or mystery science theater 3000? No, no, I wouldn't sign up to go do that. I would sign up to go with a bunch of people who recognize what it is, laugh at the right spots and enjoy it and have a couple beers in me. And I think that's how you enjoy it at a draft house. Okay. And do you think that this is like a 15% or do you think this should be way up there? For what it is, it should, it, it should be riding 50, 50. Like I could see people being like, yeah, I liked it or no, I didn't like it. But this whole people crapping on it, for fifteen percent is nuts to me. Is there a is there a John Wick connection here? I tried to look for it. I couldn't find it. He I was, was like, taken. surely somebody else has worked with him. If she didn't drown at the bottom of that pool, she totally would have been one of the people in the Continental, just obsessing after whatever guy she saw. So. <laughs> and so with with swim fan now is. I'm trying to remember if this is even on like a collector's edition and Preston did, did Roger Ebert write a review for this? (laughs) I didn't look that up. Um, But yeah, I was curious. I mean, if it's at 15%, he probably didn't like it. You know what this movie reminded me a lot of tonally? Uh, It made me want to go watch uh, Into the Blue. Oh, with yeah, with Paul Walker. Hey, say what you will. Into the Blue had some amazing cinematography. I, that, movie's, I that movie's actually too good. I'll bet that movie's at like sixty percent. I'm gonna look. I'm gonna look. That's a that's a that's a really fun movie. Into the Blue, two thousand five film. It's definitely it, rotten. It is twenty one percent. Fair game. And with Roger Ebert and Richard Roper on that movie. Um, Ebert praised the film and Roper did not like it. On Into the Blue? Into the Blue, but I don't know if he did one for Swim Fan or not. I can't find a review of Roger Ebert's for uh, Swim Fan, but it might be on... No, it was in the comment section. I thought it was popping up for their 2002 Worst of the Year list, but they may have just skipped it all together. Oh, sad face. Um, I like this movie. It was because I hadn't seen it in a while. I I saw it in the theater. I saw it when it came out on DVD. And I don't think I had seen it since its initial release on DVD. Because I certainly don't own it on Blu-ray. Uh, but watching it last night, late late last night, I, I had a ball with it. I, I really think that this is a better than a 15% rating and i think that performances are good it's in a cheesy factor but it it all works and i love the high school aspect of it the one thing that i wish uh the way that it ended 
is because like after all that stuff happens, at least when things like this like escalate to this kind of level nowadays, it seems like that's that has stained their career. Like they won't ever be looked at the same. And so I do like that this movie at least like it ends with after Eric after Madison dies, they're he's going to a, a meet after that. And it's Jason Ritter's character. Like he's the best swimmer on the team. And I think that's great. I was like, Oh, that's a nice little touch. Like he didn't get, cause you're normally a movie like this, especially at that time would end with like, he got everything back that he uh, had before. And at least this movie tries to reconcile with like a lot of the things that happened. And so for him to not get, get back on the swim team to let that part of his life go was a nice touch. However, I think Sherry Appleby should have dumped his ass. <laughs> they should not have it. Like she, she's so much better than that. She deserves so much better. And it should not have ended with them holding hands, kissing in the car, because still, I don't know how many people would have ended up going back to, to him after all that. Right. I mean, in, in, in reality, in that moment with that affair with him and Madison, she really puts it on thick and they're in the pool. I mean, he puts himself in that situation, but she, she's not quite forcing him to do it, but she's really it, it, that would be a very difficult thing to turn down at that age at 17 or 18 in the pool with all that stuff, because he does like her in that first meeting. And even when he almost runs her over. But I just think like in that character setting, being young, being horny, like Dan said, and like, we're going off to college, who knows what's going to happen? Just happened. Sadly. Okay. Good for him. Sadly and good for him. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, swim fan. So is this a, it's a thumbs up from all of us? Yeah, I, I, it's thumbs up for me. Watch it. It's eighty. It's like eighty minutes. Okay, so also, also, um, one of one of our fans of the show, um, Alex, asked if we ever um, messaged the AIM, the AOL Instant Messenger chat bot, when this movie came out. Because I guess for promotions for this movie, you could text through AOL Instant Messenger the swim fan chat bot, and it would like you know fall in love with you and stuff like that. I don't remember doing this, but I do remember a lot of this happening in the early 2000s, like with um, Artificial Intelligence, the movie and this film. But I don't remember doing it, but I might have. Did you did you ever do that? I definitely did aim. I I was in well, aim was really big in like eighth grade for me. I remember spending countless hours on that and chatting with with girls and things like that. Um, but so you're saying that they had like an actual account, kind of like those little fun things that, uh, like you do call like the movie, like if there's a right. phone number, yeah, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. No, I definitely didn't do that for the film, but th that would have been unique to see what, what, what transpired. Right. And and there was something you mentioned earlier on, Preston, that's a big part of the movie, but doesn't really get a full story arc, right? What do you mean? What gets the, 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 oh, hair, the hair clip? clip. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, so the hair clip has a whole thing because it's like introduced early on with Jesse Bradford's character, Ben, and he has a past with, uh, you know, breaking into things and trouble with the law. And then um, when he first meets Madison, for the, uh, she needs help opening her locker. It's it's jammed. And the only way that he can think to open it is to use, he's like, well, I need this actually. And he gets her hair clip and then he is able to open it. And then she says, oh, well, keep it. Cause you never know when, you know, you have to save I, my you, life you might, again. Yeah. You might need to see it. Um, and so through all the stuff that he faced with her, even when it seems like a few days have gone by and crazy things have happened, um, he still manages to have the, or still has the clip on him in his pocket. And that's how he's able to save his girlfriend, Amy, from uh, drowning in the, in the pool because she, she's pushed in there in a wheelchair. And so it's like one of those moments where like, if you don't think about it too much, you're like, Oh yeah, yeah. Well, you, you know, they set that up early on and it's like, it paid off. But then you're like, wait, why, why is it still, why does he still carrying it? What does that mean? Is it just like a sake of like, Hey, he's a teenager. You know, we all wear the same pants for a couple of days in a row, or does it have some other meaning or maybe it just was like not thought about and, just need to get from A to B and that, that was the way to handle that. And hopefully people didn't think about the space between A and B. Right. That could have been it. Cause like, does it has like the full comeuppance of that device in there. So it has a story arc, but yeah, does he still keep it after this, after the whole thing is, and why does he, and you brought up a good question. So my guess is that, he just forgot about it and it was in there. I mean, that could that thing could have been washed with his clothes and still been in there. He just yeah. never knew. He just needed a scene at the end of it being like, like it yeah, threw throwing it at her. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. There you go. So the cool. And so there was another, there's another thing I wanted to bring up real quick that I have a question about. So toward the end, when they're when everybody on uh Jesse Bradford's side, including uh, Madison's cousin Dante, Christopher Dante, like he gets in on trying to fake out Madison with this whole thing involving her past swim fan or, or the swimmer that she was a fan of and like it didn't go well. Um, and he's like in a coma or is un under oxygen and things like that. And so um, they do a fake out in the hospital because Sherry Appleby's in there uh, Amy and Madison's going in there to essentially finish the job. She's like wearing a whole doctor's outfit and is planning to kill her with a scalpel, I guess. Um, and so they pull they on the announce on the announcement in the hospital on the speaker. They say, "Hey, uh, so and so, please come to the front." And it's the name of the guy that she used to have. Oh yeah. With. And so she's like, Oh, I got to go see what this is about. And then she sees that this, whoever this figure is, is wearing the jacket and the hat. And she's like, I got to go see where this is going. She goes into the parking lot, uh, parking garage and gets out there. And then uh, it is revealed that it is, it is her cousin that's wearing uh, the Letterman jacket and the hat of her, of her former lover. And <clears throat> Jesse Bradford's character, Ben comes out of right behind her and like manages to grab like the scalpel that 
uh, she has in her hand and puts it at her throat and is like trying to get her to reveal all this information. But they're filming it the whole time because that's the reveal. Like after they get her to reveal all this information, it's like, but you still had the scalpel at her throat. And so I just don't see... Cause it was like not an entirely threatening situation, I guess. I mean, she did have the scalpel, but the fact I, I, it just kind of leaves a couple of questions there as to like, how can they not, how can the police not kind of question that a little bit right. about her having the scalpel at her throat? And again, that's might've been point A to point B type of thing. I think so. I think you're not, these little details, you're probably not supposed to think about them as deeply, but hey, man, we're film critics and we our job is to dive into some of these deeper moments. And so I think about some of those, those are the details that I get hung up on a little bit. I don't think it's quite as, it's not quite flashing a red light in the same way that the hair clip is. But it is something that I was thinking about after I saw it. Um, there's a yeah. couple of moments throughout that kind of have that same thing where you're like, I don't know if it would have exactly gone down that way. And I question it a little bit. But yeah. for the most part, I think the film does manage to get from point A to point B without a, a lot of questions. I agree. No, that was it, glaring omissions and storytelling, but it still worked. They got yeah. where they needed to go. Yeah. And for an early 2000s movie, that's what they did. Yeah, and, and it got that great moment out of uh, out of uh, Jesse Bradford doing, I like his acting in this moment, because it. I don't know if it's, it's like a Nicolas Cage type of thing, where you're like, I don't know if it's good or bad, but I'm just really invested in it. And it's like when he... <laughs> When he does have the knife at her throat, he and she's like, well, you're just going to go to prison for that. And he's like, what's one more thing? Or something like that. <laughs> he, he went all out for that one. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so good. All right. Thumbs up from you, Preston? Yeah. yeah. I, I would say so. Like, I, most of it is just because I'm nostalgic about it. That's it. I, I think it, like I said... It's not a terribly well-written movie, uh, especially early on with like the interactions between the friends, but there's no fat on it. Like we've commented on like how short it is. Like it gets right to where it needs to be. Yeah. Um, and you, you understand their feelings and everything. So I think it's effective and, and good music <laughs> of the time, uh, especially that last song. So, yeah. So here's uh, a question for you. Uh, if, you could take that character Madison played by Erica Christensen and mm -hmm. insert her into another movie where she falls in love brutally with another character from a movie. <laughs> Who would you yeah, want her to see? Killers. You want to see her? You, you would want to see her with Mickey and Mallory? Yeah. Them or even uh, California with, uh, uh, what's his name? Brad Pitt. In that movie. <laughs> I love that. My, mine would be having her show up in Secret Invasion as Nick Fury's wife. So she would have killed him and that show would have never been made. So you have strong feelings about that one too. <laughs> Arnold, Arnold Schwarzenegger is like, uh, in True Lies, like trying to really disrupt their That's good. relationship. Mr. and Mrs. Today. Smith. I love Angelina it. Jolie's spot. I love it. I feel like I'm going to go with Pee Wee's Big Adventure. <laughs> She's going to show up in that and 
be all over peewee <laughs> so yeah, that she, is her good. whole life trajectory would have been different i don't even think that she would have gone down the road that she had if she fell uh fell for peewee no i love it i love it oh there you go we are fear and loathing in cinema podcast thank you for listening today our last episode of july we'll be back next week with another great film dan moran you can find him running the um, you can find him swimming say hi to him buy him a beer and tell him you love him you'll you're the only one that can love him the way you do uh he's running our fear and loathing instagram page you can find his reviews on boomstickcomics.com see him in austin uh preston barta you can see him at the denton record chronicle you could see him at freshfiction.tv see his interviews and analysis on youtube and find him at instagram at blu-ray dad and you can find him at Preston Barta everywhere else online. And you can find out his interviews with the Talk To Me directors very soon online as well. And our other show, My Bloody Podcast, talking about horror movies. Um, there you go. And I'm Brian Kluger, highdefdigest.com, boomstickcomics.com. Check that all out. Type in Brian Kluger into YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, all of that good stuff. Find out all of the good things. Uh, Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week.